Well, hello, everyone. This is Brunch with Brent. Uh, I am so pleased to be joined today by Alan Pope. Popey, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. It's Friday, so end of the week, getting ready for the weekend. Of course. We're lucky to be recording on a Friday here. It's uh, seeming very quiet this Friday, so it's a good day to be doing this kind of stuff. Um, and of course, we are on completely different time zones. For for you, you're in the UK, right? Yeah, it's uh, we're on the time zone everyone should be on, you know, UTC. <laughs> everyone should just switch to UTC. The standard. Everybody else is lesser. Um, so for me, it's midday. For you, it's a little bit later. But yeah, great to be connected with you. Um, could you give us a little bit of introduction? Some people already know you. I know that. But can you introduce yourself for uh, some of those who might not? Yeah, so I'm some guy on the internet who uses Ubuntu, and I used it enough that uh, I got hired by Canonical to start working on Ubuntu. So since 2011, I've had a number of roles at Canonical. Uh, I'm, as I said, based in the UK, uh, and I'm an enthusiastic fan of computers in general and IBM ThinkPads specifically. Uh, I also like cats. You're starting to get known for that, right? Yeah, just a bit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you were mentioning cats. I heard a cat in there somewhere. I live with my wife and two children, and uh, we've we've had cats ever since we moved in together. And um, yeah, bit of a fan of cats. Even like just laying in bed at night, I'll uh, browse the cats subreddit. Um, and there's also a, a subreddit that uh, Joe introduced me to called Chonkers, and uh, it's like large cats. And so I'll just sit and browse our chonkers and then just tap my wife on the shoulder and show her my phone and it will just be a big fat cat waddling down the street or something. Perfect bedtime uh, content, right? Exactly. That's pretty funny. Yeah, I did notice that you have uh, a cat emoji in your Twitter handle uh, currently. I put emojis in my Twitter handle intentionally um, and I try and insert emojis in fields on websites uh in order not not to break them but in order to uncover bugs because there are some websites that still don't support emojis and this all came about years ago when uh, fedora linux had a code name called schrodinger's cat and the the name schrodinger has an apostrophe and an accented character in it and it broke the bug tracker and it broke a few tools around the release of Fedora. And someone in the Ubuntu project rather confidently claimed that oh, it wouldn't happen here. And I thought, hmm, I bet it would. <laughs> so I started changing my launchpad name to have uh, emoji characters in. And sure enough, I broke stuff. Uh, most recently, Thunderbird email client. Uh, if people get emails from me, <laughs> they'll see a list of email and then mine will be in the middle at like 72 point text for some reason is some bug in, in thunderbird but it's great because they're scrolling through their email and then suddenly mine jumps out at them <laughs> so and so it was it was successful finding bugs by just putting emoji all over the place and uh so yeah there was there was method behind that madness i suppose you're getting a lot of replies to your emails as well uh well more angry ones <laughs> saying oh god another email from alan especially people who are subscribed to bug trackers like if you subscribe to the launchpad bug tracker 
it's mostly people who work for Canonical. So people who work on uh, Gnome Shell or back in the day Unity, and I would file a bug. And so they would get bug mail and it would say from Alan Pope and it would, my bugs would stand out a lot more than anyone else's because <laughs> giant emoji penguin took up half their screen. <laughs> That's one way to get things at the top of the priority. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But it uncovers, uh, it, there's, there's two things there. There's, I've got attention for the bug that I actually filed, but then there's also clearly a bug in their email client that we have now discovered that that also needs to be raised. And that's probably going to be fixed more quickly because it annoys more people whenever I send them an email. So yeah, double win. Yeah. <laughs> two bugs in one, that's great. But that shows just the importance as well of um, testing fringe cases, right? Um, and you've kind of taken it upon yourself to test a whole bunch of services. Um, ha- have you found any bugs in other services that you're not so um, uh, related to on a daily basis? So sometimes, yeah. Like I get frustrated when um, you sign up for something and they don't allow certain characters in email addresses, or you know, it's it's often nerds will often tag their emails with a plus sign and some characters or a dash and some characters in order to, if the email address spreads and is used for sending unsolicited spam, you can tell where it originated. Right. And there are a lot of websites that don't, don't accept those tagged email addresses. They don't accept a plus sign as a valid character in an email. And I kind of rant at those companies. Um, But it's unfortunate because they probably just bought an off the shelf web package or, they just didn't realize that a plus sign is something people use in email addresses and they're probably not going to fix it, but it still makes me a bit cross. Yeah. But I, I like, I like breaking stuff. I like discovering, pushing the boundaries of software and doing stupid stuff with software in order to identify bugs. Um, I did, I did one a little while ago where there's, I have a tendency to hold down keys on the keyboard to see if that breaks anything. Um, Cause people don't do that. Um, and there's a couple I've found by doing this. If you hold down the mute button on a ThinkPad, there's a like, hardware mute button, you know, like the media keys. Some years ago, I discovered that if you just hold that down, um, it it mutes and then unmutes, so auto repeats. But after a while, it gets out of sync with the mute indicator on your desktop. So you get to the point where you press the mute key and the light comes on to say it's muted, but the thing goes off on the desktop to say you're not muted. And so they're completely out of sync. <laughs> so I, f- I filed a bug and uh, one of the guys on the desktop, I filed a bug saying, if you hold down yeah, the mute key, it gets out of sync with the indicator. And the reply from someone on the desktop team was, why would you do that? I'm like, doesn't matter. <laughs> I did do it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, I, I was, because I have a ThinkPad in front of me here, an X220 with that mute button, I was tempted when you first started explaining it to, to give it a try. And then I thought, oh, I better not. <laughs> that That's the other flip side is uh, sometimes you find bugs that uh, if you tell someone to do it, you have to give them a warning beforehand. So there was a similar bug where if you hold down the print screen key, when you press print screen, it uh, flashes the screen, either black or white to like a photo being taken and makes a photo sound and takes a screenshot. Um, and it's, it, it does this kind of fade effect. And I discovered that the print screen key on one release of Ubuntu auto repeats. And so if you hold down the print screen key, it will rapidly fire off multiple screenshots and it will keep trying to flash the screen repeatedly causing 
your machine to eventually lock up because it's trying to do this 3D composited fade effect. And so I I dropped by the Ubuntu desktop team channel and said, hey, um, I think I've discovered a bug. Hold down the print screen key. <laughs> One of the guys, Will Cook, <laughs> held down the print screen key and that, as far as he concerned, locked up his machine. And I and he didn't see the very next line that I typed, which was, by the way, this will lock up your machine. <laughs> <laughs> you gave fair warning. <laughs> yeah, a bit too late. So, yeah, I, I like doing that kind of thing. I've learned recently that in software development and even like web development, those kind of things, that's actually a surprisingly important part is having someone on the team or a few people or someone in the public who is intentionally trying to break things. You know, trying to push the boundaries of what the defined use case is, perhaps. Um, is there is there a word for that kind of? I think it's fuzzy fuzzy testing. Okay, I thinking or fuzzing. Some people call it fuzzing. It's just like doing stuff that's outside the boundaries of a fixed set of tests. I'm not a QA person. I just you know pretend to be one really well, um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it, it's it's not uncommon for people to. Re, re, do a software release and then ping me and say, Hey, I've made this thing. And then within minutes, I'll tell them I found a bug like very quickly. I'll find a bug because I'll just do stupid things with the software, just like resize the window as small as possible or make the window as big as all of my displays just to see what the dialogue does. And, and that exploratory testing, you can't really automate. You need human beings to do stupid stuff because, unfortunately, human beings do stupid stuff. We're very good at that. Yeah. Uh, one of my pet peeves, and it happened to me two days ago, I was trying to sign up for a, a conference and I had to create an account. And um, this happens all the time. You can probably relate. You've probably run into it. But I, I use a password manager, which everyone should, uh, if you're not currently, like... Um, get out of the nineties, I guess. Um, and so I use long passwords cause why not? They're all unique and stuff and I don't have to remember them. So, um, so my pet peeve is that on some registration pages, when you put in a long password, it auto truncates the password without really showing you or telling you or giving you any sort of warning. What? Yeah. I've run into this a few times. That's insane. I know. And so I put in the password and it doesn't complain and you hit okay. And then it immediately, you know, it should send you like a confirmation email so that you can, uh, you can say, yep, I actually did that, which you have a story about that, uh, which we might get into. Um, but upon clicking yes on that registration email and coming back to log in, the password doesn't work. And it's because it gets truncated to some, I don't know, it, it's not an arbitrary number, but it's some kind of defined number in their system. And then, uh, and then you can't get in. You have to do so. I had to do a password reset immediately the first time I tried to log in, which is a pretty bad user experience. So, I whenever I run into that kind of stuff, I try to give someone some information. But uh, yeah, it's surprising that we're still dealing with that kind of stuff. Yeah, I I get frustrated with the web forms that don't let you copy and paste. I know my email address. I, you know, it's pretty sure. I, I'm not going to mistype it. And if I just double click it and paste it in the next line. I, I'm pretty confident everything's going to be all right. But there are some websites where they use funky JavaScript to disable paste, um, which is just ridiculous. I mean, I, get, I guess, you know, you have to protect against the archetypal idiot user who, you know, is a, able to operate a microwave oven and nothing more powerful than that. <laughs> but it doesn't help when there are people out there who actually can use 
these computer things quite well and you just frustrate those people. It must be a difficult balancing act. I'm glad I don't maintain websites for a living. That's what I've realized is sometimes by implementing some of those strategies, you're actually taking away from some strategies for really good security as well. So you're leaving everybody kind of in the middle. Uh, so you're not allowing bad security, but you're also not allowing very good security. You're just allowing like, like, like some websites having a eight character password must. It's like, you can't go over, you can't go under. It's like, well, really? Are we still with that? Eight pass, eight characters? Seems yeah. kind of low. The fact that there is a finite number of eight character passwords <laughs> just makes this just ludicrous. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I feel like we should be past that by now. Um, you ran in recently into a situation that we don't necessarily need to mention uh, the business, but you ran into a situation where they weren't uh, doing verification emails either, and uh, that gave you a bit of trouble, right? Yeah, I see a lot of that. There's a lot of companies that will... They're eager for you to sign up for their service. And so just visiting their website and punching in your email address basically signs you up. And it's pretty common for me to get signed up for stuff where people have just put in an email address, maybe slightly wrong, um, and I get the email. Because I own a domain, I get all emails for that domain. And so people will put in something at the domain.com. Um, and... Sometimes it's uh, it can be seen as malicious and sometimes it's just stupidity. But I, I get signed up for stuff and then immediately get signed up for marketing emails or, you know, promotions for their other products. And those are really hard to get off when it's not like I bought a thing from you. I am a customer. We have a relationship and I would like to hear about your new products. Please sign me up for your newsletter. It's not even that. It's randomly out of the blue i get signed up for a random thing that i've never heard of that i don't care about i don't want i will never use and oh here comes the newsletter as well it's like <laughs> no oh, <man. laughs> just aggravating the situation yeah i have a tendency to rant at people a little bit when they do that kind of stuff because it's just it's just rude <laughs> it's just not nice uh, you got in contact with someone, or at least you signaled to someone that that was happening. Did you get a good end result with them connecting with you? Yeah, I felt kind of bad. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always, I, you know, I should do that count to 10, you know, look out the window, think about what this is like from their perspective. And then I just think, no, screw it. <laughs> they, should, they should not have implemented this badly. And they did. They should do better. And so I tweeted at them. Uh, and got nothing. And then I got a newsletter the next day. I was like, okay, this is enough. So I tweeted at them again from another account and, you know, rather aggressively said they're doing it wrong. And I got a sincere apology and, you know, by the way, we use your products. I'm like, oh God, why did you have to say that? Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I feel doubly guilty now, but, you know, but they shouldn't have done it. You know, pragmatically speaking, they screwed up. It wasn't my fault that they signed me up for a thing I didn't ask for and then signed me up for uh, their newsletter that I didn't ask for. <laughs> More things you didn't ask for. <laughs> but I would consider that one of those bugs that you're talking about as well. It's like, that's just another form of bug. Right. You know, it's a bug in their strategy, I guess, uh, to get people on. Yeah. And too, I think too many people are keen to get people signed up and it's a numbers game. You know, once you get 
a certain number of thousands of people signed up, a percentage of those will will be converted into paying customers. Um, and, you know, you've got to aggressively market at those people who are the 99.9% of non-paying customers to try and convert them and upsell them some special offer without considering that some of those 99.9% of people don't actually care. And maybe they just signed up because they want to see what your product is. And, you know, I, over the years, I've signed up for project products just to see what it is and see what the product can do. And I can probably figure that out myself from playing with a demo or reading their material on their website, which may be hidden behind a login screen. And then five years later, I get a marketing email from them. I think, where the hell is this from? And I search my email and I find I signed up for them five years ago just to look at the product. I was like, oh, you don't have to do that. You know, I, I very clearly am not an engaged participant in your community. I'm very, very obviously not a customer. Don't try and upsell to me by harvesting your entire email address portfolio of everyone who's ever mentioned your product or looked at it or breathed near your website. You know, <laughs> not every single one of them can be converted into a customer. Yeah, exactly. I wanted to bring up, um, you mentioned a long time ago, uh, Wimpy, um, because I, th I was going to think that the emojis in, uh, your Twitter handle were because of Wimpy's influence. <laughs> I know he ha he has a tendency to use them a little bit everywhere. Um, and I thought that was your way of, of kind of supporting him in that, but I see now that there, there may be a different, uh, strategy there. I think it's the other way around. I think I have unfortunately unleashed the beast on <laughs> Martin of uh, emoji because, yeah, I've been putting emoji in all over the places since, well, since whoever it was on the Launchpad team erroneously thought that Launchpad was impervious to these kind of problems. <laughs> but I haven't been using them quite so much on social media, so I think that's both of us. Um, because uh, both Martin and I have access to a number of work social media accounts, uh, both on our desktop browser and on our mobile phones. So, you know, we can often be out and about and have an idea for some social thing that we should do and post it. And Martin is very, is very um, clear in basing his social posts on data. So he has data that suggests that if you put an image in a social post, it's going to perform better than just plain text and shorter uh, social posts perform better than longer ones. And ones that have a up to three emojis perform better than the ones that have none. Now they perform differently with different demographics, obviously, but um, that's that's the basis, I think, for where Martin's love of emoji comes from. And uh, it's quite infectious. And so I've started using them as well uh, quite a lot in my social posts. I did one today because as we record this, it's Black Friday. So I thought I'd do a social post about it being Black Friday. And we have a, an Ubuntu exclusive special offer to download the desktop for free. 
uh, on Black Friday. <laughs> I, had to, I had to follow it up with another tweet that was like, note, also available for free every other day of the year. Oh, I thought that was a great deal. <laughs> it, yeah, totally. Uh, it's while stocks last. <laughs> Grab that ISO image. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's all pretty stupid, but it's it's just a bit of fun and a bit lighthearted because sometimes the social media posts can seem very sterile, corporate, boring. And so we try and lighten the mood a little bit um, and make them a bit less dull. Uh, and we do that a little bit with emojis, with some animated GIFs, maybe a video here and there or something like that. Yeah, I think, you know, we have to remember that we are talking to other human beings who have some necessity for comedy in their lives as well, right? Um, Martin explained uh, in the Brunch with Brent that we did together a few weeks ago how um, exactly what you said, data um, was driving that decision, but also his desire to just make the communities feel a little bit better, like to just bring some lightheartedness to these otherwise, you know, sometimes very technical discussions, like a release post or something like that. Uh, and I thought that was really lovely. It's funny. We um, we did a post a little while ago, which were, uh, one of when one of the releases came out. I think it was uh, when nineteen oh four came out, which is an interim, non long term support release. And I put a poll up um, that I thought was fun, uh, and it said something like nineteen oh four is out. Uh, are you going to upgrade? And option one was LTS for life. Option two was you know I've already upgraded. I can't remember what option three was. Oh, uh, option three was something like still running Ubuntu 7.10 or something like that. And uh, the final one was, by the way, I use Arch. Um, and whenever you do a poll on the internet, obviously, by the way, I use Arch is the winner. Of course. Obviously. <laughs> but we engaged with people replying and suggesting this was a stupid idea for a poll from Ubuntu to talk about, you know, uh, a different Linux distro, but it's just a bit of fun. It's just, you know, it's Friday afternoon. Uh, people need a little bit of amusement in their life. And someone took a screen grab of that with the poll, posted it on Reddit and was like, ha this isn't going well for them. Oh gosh. As if what, like we're going to change from being Ubuntu to like, right, that's it. I'm going to quit. And I'm switching to Arch as a result of this stupid poll I did on a Friday afternoon. It was just a bit of fun, but the replies were great. And they were like, you know, who someone replied there saying something like, whoever's their social media manager is killing it. And I'm like, well, thanks, but <laughs> it's just a stupid tweet. <laughs> it's funny, though, how something that's intended to just be kind of lighthearted can just get taken in so many directions. One of the things that we've always tried to do uh, in the Ubuntu project um, is not rain on any other project. Uh, you generally won't find canonical employees and Ubuntu members dissing other projects. Like we won't talk down another Linux distribution or talk down the people who make another Linux distribution because we're already 1% of the market. Like why, why would we do that? Like my, my friend, Michael Hall, uh, says, um, if you blow out someone else's candle, it doesn't make your candle any brighter. And so it doesn't make sense, even if we are competitors, and I use that in inverted commas, if we're competitors with these other distros, it doesn't do us any favors to knock them. And so since Ubuntu started, we've 
always strived to be positive and always strived with a code of conduct to not knock other distros. Now, that doesn't always work. And sometimes people make mistakes and sometimes people are not completely positive. And I'm, I, I fall into that trap sometimes too, but it's something we strive for. And I, I, I wish more people did that. I think the Linux ecosystem would be a better place if we could each, um, share the good work that each other is doing um, non-maliciously, you know. Uh, so when Fedora puts out a release from the Ubuntu account, we'll congratulate them. When KDE put out a release, we congratulate them because we have quite a wide social reach. And it's a good thing for us to point people at these projects because it doesn't do us any harm whatsoever to point at KDE or point at Fedora or point at Elementary or Manjaro and highlight their success because highlighting their success doesn't make us any worse. I can only agree completely. Um, I know Wimpy mentioned the same thing in the conversation we had with his brunch and Rocco mentioned the same thing in his, and I feel like it's a theme that is just continuing uh, to propagate. And I hope it really takes off for all of the people you know, in the Reddit subs and all over uh, social media and all of the places where you tend to find this negativity or at least this kind of, I don't know if it's a rivalry kind of nature, but it's, I agree with you completely. Like we're all on the same team. It's tribalism and validation. I installed this thing. If, if someone else says their thing is better, then maybe I was wrong and I can't be wrong. So people feel... It's it's not a lot different than you know the rivalry between people who have one particular gaming device and people who have a different manufacturer's gaming device and that it's it's all cooked up by the users. It's not cooked up by the manufacturers. There'll be a bit of tongue in cheek back and forth between Microsoft and Sony about the Xbox and the PlayStation. But if you get Xbox developers and PlayStation developers in the same room, they're going to talk to people like human beings. They're not going to be, you know, at each other's throats. Just the same as when I went to the Linux application summit in Barcelona. There are people from Red Hat there. There's people from Purism, there are people from Pine. You know, we're all grown adults and we can all have conversations together. You don't have to turn everything into a cage fight. And I think the reality is that we are all connected with a bunch of the software that we're making, right? Um, lots of it is propagated in all of those distributions and a piece that someone writes might help someone else and or change someone else's perspective so it's all really constructive the way i've sort of come to see it or at least challenged myself to see it recently is there's a big difference between being right and wrong and just having preferences uh, and i think those two often get mixed up you know, if a user has a preference of a certain piece of software or a gaming platform or distribution, that's very different than one being better than the other. Right. And, and it's very, it's sometimes very difficult for people to separate those two. And also in, in Ubuntu, we've sometimes made decisions where a small set of very vocal people will say, that's wrong. You shouldn't do that. That's wrong. I prefer it like this. And everyone prefers it like this. And it's like, well, you might be right in that you prefer it like that, but it's very difficult in the Linux community to be able to speak for everyone because everyone has different tastes. And, you know, the fact that we moved the 
window control buttons from one side to the other side, deeply angered a small amount of people who were, you know, very vocal online. But it turns out most people were like, huh, meh, well, they're over there now. Okay. <laughs> Don't care. Where's the button? Oh, it's there. And they click it and they move on with their life because the window controls position on the screen is not the most important thing in their life. It turns out opening the web browser and surfing Facebook or reading their email or placing a bet online or whatever it is. Getting something done, yeah. Yeah, getting stuff done is way more important than where the window controls are. And it's it's difficult having those conversations with very passionate people in the Linux community who feel like their perspective is the one true perspective. It makes me wonder, uh, characters like maybe some Apple CEOs that we've seen uh, having such a strong conviction that they're ideas are the best ones and sometimes that does push the envelope faster or further yeah and you know we kind of i'm not trying to draw a parallel between an apple ceo and the lead sponsor of the ubuntu project um and ceo of canonical but uh mark shuttleworth does have like executive sign-off on many things there are many decisions that happen inside ubuntu that are taken by people at all levels and mark may not be involved in those conversations at all about which version of which library is used or um, how a particular dialogue is designed and so on but broad brush he will have decision-making power over things and so for example when we switched from GNOME 2 to Unity, that's largely a project driven by Mark, who was running the design team at the time. And so he will have received some flack, and the company will have received some flack because of that decision, but he made that bold decision. And as a result of making that decision, I'm very confident that we sold more machines running Ubuntu using Unity than we ever did before that. Um, and while some people don't like it, you need someone to take the hit for that, someone to take the can um, for making that decision. Now, we may have introduced it too early. Um, it might not have been ready. It might have been slow performance uh, when it first released. And I've spoken to Mark about this publicly in interviews on the Ubuntu podcast, and he said, yep, yeah, we, we were too early with that. And there's some other things we may have been too early with. But sometimes you just have to push the envelope and it needs someone like Mark to do that because the smaller distros where everything is done via common consensus will often not have the push, the drive to try out those new things that, yeah, they might be controversial. They might annoy some people, but someone's got to try this. Otherwise, we're all going to be looking at motif windows and, you know, GNOME 2 for the rest of our lives. Someone's got to push that stuff forward. There's something about being so confident with your own perspective that it becomes visionary and you can lead other people to sort of go in places that no one's ever been before. Doesn't mean we get it right all the time, though. Some people would say Ubuntu Phone was an, a complete failure in inverted commas. And I've seen that written online that Ubuntu Phone was a failure. And it's like, well, there were thousands of devices that shipped with Ubuntu phone. That's like a drop in the ocean. That's very few devices in the grand scheme of things. When you think of how many billions of Android devices there are out there. And we eventually canned the project and handed 
the open source parts over to the UB ports guys and they've run with it and they've grown the community bigger than it ever was under canonical um, and have supported more devices and have moved the project forward. But someone needed to actually have a go at doing that. And thankfully Mark had the, uh, the bags of money to throw at it, to, to have a go at it really. Well, and it, maybe it, you know, failure or success necessarily depends on what you're measuring. Right. And so if you're measuring progress instead of total sales, then that's maybe a totally different picture or impact. You know, if you're trying to measure impact or innovation, for instance, and those kind of things, then, then failure or success isn't necessarily obvious. And it was also very difficult because the way it ended was with cutbacks within the company. And so that was very painful for the people who worked on it. It's very different from just drawing a line under it and saying, okay, we're not going to contribute to this thing anymore and we'll make it open source and everyone you know, who wants to work on it can work on it. It was, we're no longer going to work on this thing and the staff that were working on it now no longer work for us. And so it was an incredibly painful time for those of us who worked at Canonical at the time to lose that project effectively uh, because some of our friends left the company. Yeah, that doesn't sound easy at all, right? When you when you put it that way. Maybe in that sense, it's a, uh, a shame that you lost some great people uh, as personal relationships, right? Right, but the flip side is, would the company still exist now two years later, if we hadn't done that. Those are the really hard decisions that some people uh, in the leadership positions have to make. And us as simple users, we're lucky not to have to make those, right? Right, and I don't have a time machine, so I can't tell in an alternate universe what would have happened if we'd carried on working on it and throw more money at it. I don't know, and I don't think anyone can know that. We can guess, but it's hard to know. Can we talk about the Ubuntu podcast for a little bit? Sure. I was fascinated by Wimpy's story about how he got involved there and how you uh, both are now sort of a tag team duo at conferences and things like that, um, which he said you would laugh about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wondered a little bit how you got started in podcasting um, because you had been doing it quite a bit earlier than Wimpy had, right? Uh, can you walk us maybe through that a little bit? Yeah, so... We started, we're, we're just coming to the end of our 12th season and we do one season a year. So whatever that is, 2007, sometime around there. So around about 2006, I was a community contributor to Ubuntu and on the UK IRC channel, the Ubuntu UK IRC channel, we'd often have conversations about Maybe there should be an Ubuntu podcast. Uh, who would do this? And at the time, I was a keen consumer of a number of podcasts. And I thought, yeah, I think we could probably do this. I think we can generate enough content to put out a show every other week or so, uh, interview people, discuss what's going on in the project. And... I contacted a few friends who I'd known through my local Linux user group and also through the uh, Ubuntu community in the UK and said, do you fancy doing this podcast thing? 
And we each went out and bought some hardware, bought microphones, mic stands, got a mixer. And everyone came over to my house and we recorded an episode and it took all day to record one episode. Oh no, how come? Well, we just didn't know what the hell we were doing. And we, uh, we made some mistakes, like uh, we recorded a segment and then we went and had a cup of tea and a biscuit and had to think about what the next segment was going to be. And, you know, then we go back in the room and sit there and record that segment. And we edited really heavily. Like every um and er uh was edited out. And yeah. uh, it, it took a long time to post-process those early episodes. Um, and, and also this, the the fact that we were driving to each other's houses. So initially there was myself, uh, Tony and Laura and Davey. And we live 50, 60 miles away from each other, which I know by US scale is not a huge distance, but in the UK, nobody drives 50 miles to see a friend. Um, especially not to record a podcast. Like, yeah. Um, so it, it, it was, um, it was a bit difficult, but we, we once we got a few episodes under our belt and um uh, a uk uh, vps provider bitfolk provided us with some hosting for free uh and we got it all set up it, it kind of started working and uh we would interview people who worked on ubuntu and it we we started off very amateurish and the audio quality was terrible and uh it took ages to get an episode out the door uh, but I think we've, after 12 years, we've streamlined it. Um, plus we, we've outsourced the editing to your good selves, which, um, uh, is most welcome. Yeah. Those were kind of early days for podcasting really, when you start to look at it, you know, you mentioned 2007 and, uh, there weren't really that many podcasts out, but, uh, at that time compared to now, of course. Yeah. It, 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 I mean, I remember there was a, a bunch of podcasts I used to listen to, um there was the ones that uh leo laporte did you know twit that kind of stuff and the stuff the one, i mean the ones he still does now and there was uh dig nation that was uh kevin rose talking about you know whatever's popular on dig at the time and a few others and i, I used to commute a lot and uh i used to listen to them on my commute and i after a while i thought yeah i can do this and there were a couple of linux ones around at the time and they were pretty awful and um, <laughs> to the point where I remember falling asleep on the train listening to one. Oh, that's not a good sign. <laughs> no, this is like, I reckon we could do better than this. And I'm not saying we're great at doing podcasts. I know there's, we are amateurs. We are not particularly good microphone technique. You know, we um and err, uh, and we have, you know, there are things that I would love to improve about the whole thing. Uh, but it's a bit of fun. And there are some thousands of people who download it every week. And we're, if we talk about something controversial, we get a lot of feedback. And there's a little community that's built up around it. Our little Telegram channel that we have for the podcast has today hit a thousand people in there. Whoa, that's no small thing. I don't think many of them are bots. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think they're mostly human. Uh uh, but that's it's really nice. I mean, there's a hundred or so people who are active at any time, and it's a nice little community of people who you know give us feedback and uh, let us know when we're doing something wrong or send us news articles to talk about. And 
yeah, it's just a bit of fun on a Tuesday night to sit with Martin and Mark and chat about stuff. And then out it goes on a Thursday. And it's it's not even part of either of our jobs. We're not paid to do it. We're not sponsored. You know, we don't get paid by any sponsors. It's just a bit of fun. And we've been doing it for 12 years, which is kind of surprising, really. I think the human aspect, similar to what you were saying about like tweets and stuff earlier, the having that human aspect is super important, especially when it comes to sharing, you know, a little bit of technical information. I think uh, you guys have an amazing balance there. And uh, I know it's really entertaining as well to listen to and you get some great perspectives with uh, with your crew. So um, please keep doing it. I know you're probably going to have a, a curry this this uh coming up we have a break every year it's it's funny when we when we did the first season um we did one the first season was from about march till december and we all decided we wanted to take a break over christmas and we weren't sure whether we were going to come back the following year and now it's become this meme that at the end of the year we go away and oh will they won't they and obviously there's a hundred percent track record so far that we have come back but there's no guarantee that we will you know mark has just had a baby and martin now has more responsibility on his plate for work so we never know if we're going to come back for another season we might we might not and it's a stupid game we play with the audience where we say well we just don't know but we don't and we and we never know until we do the curry because we we stop recording uh in december and we actually don't talk about the podcast. The three of us don't talk about the podcast at all for at least a month. The whole of January, we never talk about it. And then we talk about going for a curry. Do you feel like that is almost like a necessary break that's really helpful, actually, to gain like new perspectives and ideas? Yes. It's, it's a way to uh, take a breather, have a think about what worked in the last season, what didn't work, and whether, if we come back, whether we want to do something differently, uh, record differently, move the day. Because when a year passes, you know, when you've got children like I have, my son has changed which day he practices football on. And if he practiced on a Tuesday, which is when we record, that would mess up my ability to do the podcast. And my daughter does dancing and sometimes she has to dance on a Tuesday. And so I'm rushing around in order to fit in the podcast because we always do it at the same time on the same day. And one thing we learned very early on is if you want to build an audience, you have to do the episodes regularly. And if you want to get the episode out on time, you have to record it on time. And we sometimes fail and we sometimes postpone, but more often than not, if you uh pinged me online at 8 30 in the evening on a tuesday i you wouldn't get a reply from me for a couple of hours because that's the time that we always do the the recording yeah there's something about consistency of schedule especially when you have a bunch of people involved right it's that's so necessary i'm starting to learn that um working with the jb team i've been a sort of freelance photographer being able to do whatever i want to all the time but um some of that consistency actually is super powerful so um you did mention uh you wanted to mention something uh before our chat you were talking about uh well i think this ties into a bunch of stuff so uh, lots of people know you for the ubuntu podcast uh also i suppose uh, user error uh, you guys do some really hilarious stuff there so i would encourage everyone to check it out if, if they haven't yet and uh you mentioned uh earlier in our chat um some think bad stuff that you might be starting to get famous with that so this internet famous thing you know where you're 
known by a tiny subset of people on the internet for something you're notable for something and i have been recognized in public for being on the podcast now i'm not i'm not, I'm not you know in inverted commas famous i'm no kim kardashian obviously but it's quite nice you're, you're like niche famous right well yeah like z list internet celebrity <laughs> famous um <laughs> Uh, and it's quite nice, but it's also quite weird when people recognise you. And I've I've kind of got used to it, but I haven't. It's still it still weirds me out a little bit because it's an audio podcast. Nobody knows what I look like unless they happen to be following me on Twitter and see my avatar or something. Um, but I had it years ago. Uh, I think two thousand and one was the first time I ever experienced it. I was working for a drugs company in the UK, and I had a really rubbish website my blog, popey.com. If you look at the internet archive for popey.com, don't do this, but I'm sure you will. (laughs) Uh, Go back and look around about 2001. It was was proper 2001 era web log, right? Uh, With stupid icons and stuff all over it. It was awful. Uh, Actually, it's a bit of the precursor to emoji. I had little icons in between the text to indicate stuff. And these were icons I ripped out of the SAP system that I was working on at the time. So yeah, that's the precursor to emoji, I think. It sounds visionary. Yes, totally. But they were, uh, the place I was working, were interviewing someone to join the team. And I wasn't part of the interview process because I was just a contractor. And uh, they came back from the interview and uh, we were asking, you know, how's this new person that you're interviewing? What are they like? And uh, one of them apparently asked how big the team is. And the boss said, well, we've got like five or six people. We've got this person, that person. We've got Alan Pope. And apparently the person they were interviewing said, you've got Alan Pope. And she went, (laughs) yeah. And the guy went, the Alan Pope. And, <laughs> and she went, yeah. And from that point onwards, I was known inside that company as the Alan Pope. Everyone just calls me the Alan Pope from that point, <laughs> which is like, I'm just, yeah, just some nerd online who happens to have a website. But I met them later uh, when they did get hired and they came and introduced, introduced themselves. And I said, oh, I'm Alan. And I shook their hand and they went, Alan have you got pictures of cats on your website? And I said, yes, yes, I have. And that was like, brilliant. I'm recognized for, you know, the Alan Pope and having pictures of cats on my website. So I've kind of got used to that being recognized, but I'm always being recognized for stupid reasons. Your website has been updated since then, which is kind of nice. And I just want to point it out. Um, I think it's, it's such a wonderfully simple and yet really cheeky, website so i'll encourage everybody to go check it out um popey.com popey.com yeah there's not a lot there no i know but that's the brilliance <laughs> of it and what is there is hilarious <laughs> and yet also quite astute so um i like it i like it a lot aside from popey.com uh i wanted to ask you um are there any non-computer projects that you tend to get excited about i know a lot of people know you for your thinkpad tinkering and all of that stuff but is there anything these days that's like really grabbing you that's not necessarily tech related i will often make a note somewhere of a thing that should exist i wish existed but doesn't and some of those will be games and i've had a ton of ideas for games and i have a friend who i bounce ideas off of i'll ping him on telegram and say hey i've had this idea And I will 
describe the game or describe the application and, and we'll both agree that that should exist. And sometimes it's a bit of a con and I try and get them to help me make it <laughs> or get them to make it, <laughs> just get them to make it. And sometimes that works and they'll say, yeah, I could probably knock that up in Python in no time at all. And they'll just send me a link to a Git repo a few hours later. And I'm like, oh, brilliant. That's great. Thank you very much. <laughs> and I feel super bad about this because I feel like I should be creating those things myself. But I get these mental blocks when I try and create stuff and I get very frustrated. I, I've... I've often said I don't consider myself a developer. I'm not a programmer. And I can create a shell script. And I've done coding on computers for 30 years. You know, I've written Z80 Assembler, 6502. I've even written 8086 Assembler. And I've written in Pascal and uh, various other languages. But I, I find it really difficult to get past that block and I, I don't know how to fix that. So my, my problem is, in answer to your question, yes, I have a ton of, of projects outside the stuff that I do on a daily basis, but none of them are finished. And I get so frustrated because I, I don't know how to move them forward. And I, I because I get frustrated that I can't move them forward, I get more frustrated that they don't move forward, and then I give up on them. Oh, it's, yeah, recursive. Could I send a challenge your way? Oh, my gosh. Go on then. Could you take a few of those ideas and just put them out into the world? For instance, like send them out on Twitter and in a hope that someone else picks them up. Because uh, some of these ideas sound not necessarily like huge or or massive business opportunities or anything like that, but just something you wish existed. So I wonder what might happen if you just kind of send it out into the world and see what happens. I know I have inspired a couple of things in the past. I have said to people in the past you know what should exist this thing should exist and then suddenly it exists and that's great i feel guilty because i didn't make the thing i just had the idea for the thing and i i kind of would like to put those ideas out there but i i worry a bit that i'm just the ideas man and the biggest one is ubuntu mate right is there's now many, many thousands of people who run Ubuntu Mate. And that came about because of a stupid idea that I had that there should be an, a, a Mate spin of Ubuntu. Martin comes around my house, picks it up, walks away with it. And now I basically don't contribute to Ubuntu Mate at all since day one. He's done it all. And I just had the idea. I mean, that's a good example because somebody else picked it all up and every so often he'll ping me and say, what do you think about this idea for Ubuntu Mate? And I go, yeah, great idea. And <laughs> somebody else somewhere on the planet does the work. And all I did was just, you know, agree that that sounds like a good idea. And maybe there'll be more of those. Perhaps your real gift and contribution is just creating the seeds. And then you hand off those seeds to others who are more interested in maintaining the seeds you know that has huge value for sure well it doesn't it doesn't because like whenever you open a bug tracker for an open source application you'll get a load of people giving you ideas on how you could improve your thing and i worry that i become yet another one of those like i'm just throwing my ideas out into the big pool of ideas on the planet and uh yeah some of them might turn out to be i don't know I, I, I'm I'm also very resistant to uh, people telling me that 
terrible ideas <laughs> which is why i run them past my friend Stuart on telegram before i before i even think about them any further but yeah okay i think over christmas i will try and turn these into documents which could be shared more widely than just between me and my friend Stuart. that sounds lovely and it doesn't have to be all of them it could just be just be a few that sounds like a fun little project see what happens you never know I wanted to ask you if there's anything that you would like the community to try, uh, like sort of an ask, something you'd like them to try or go check out or think about. So a thing that I've been, we touched on earlier, is the whole testing thing. I I wish more people could uh, push the boundaries of testing stuff out. And not, not specifically Ubuntu, like any Linux distribution, go and, go and find one you've not tried before and test it out find out what their process is for filing bugs and issues and follow that process uh, and let give give them feedback about what works and what doesn't work. Because I know often developers will create things and you know, it works for them, but they don't appreciate that people out there have different size screens or different accessibility requirements. You know, maybe people with impaired vision or impaired motor skills aren't able to use that software because of the way it's constructed. And I think it would be great if we did more of that testing in the community because it's such a low impact thing for normal non-developer people to do. And I've shown this in videos I've done on my YouTube channel you know, chucking a an ISO image onto a USB key, booting it on a machine, and then just noodling around for an hour uh, and trying it out as if you were using it on a daily basis is a, a really easy thing to do. Just dedicating an hour or so to noodle around with it and then dedicate another half hour to an hour to filing any bugs you find and and continuing to converse with the developer continuing that conversation and making sure they understand what's broken or what's not working or what's glitchy. I think that's the thing I would really love to see more is people contributing meaningfully to Linux distributions rather than seeing Linux distributions as a one-way street because the Linux distributions rely totally on volunteer contributors to help them out. So that would be my call to action is go and test a distro and I don't care which distro it is. That's lovely. I, I would imagine too, as a user, having that bi-directional communication would actually be a real treat. You know, you get some insights on where the project is headed or can, you know, I imagine once you do that for a while, you can request some features or maybe sh share some ideas um, that would really uh, make you have a sense of ownership for this product that you really love or are learning to love. I think that's that's a key thing is feeling a sense of ownership, feeling a a member of their community. Uh, it's it's very easy to do drive by bug reports. You know, boot an ISO in a VM, throw a bug report over the wall at a developer, and then walk away and never look at that distro ever again. I think it's more useful for people to find a home, find a distro they like, uh, get involved with the community. Actually jump on their IRC channel or their Slack or their Mattermost or wherever it is they chat and ask, you know, what can I do? And they will almost certainly ask you, well, what can you do? <laughs> what are your skills? And if you say, oh, I can, I can test your distro, 
they'll almost certainly be happy to point you to, well, we've just landed this new thing. Do you want to test it? Um, I even saw a, a distro whose Slack I'm sat in a couple of days ago posted secret ISO images and said, hey, can people test this stuff out? And so I did. But I'm not even part of that distro. I'm not even part of their community. I just happened to be lurking in their Slack. And I thought, yeah, I'll help them out. I'll try out their ISO if it if it crashes in a thousand colors or you know formats my hard drive without me asking, then I'll tell them. But if it all works, I'll let them know it, it worked well. And it's an hour of my life that is not hard to contribute to. Uh, so like I say, I work for Ubuntu, but... I appreciate that everyone has their own personal taste and everyone wants to contribute in different ways to different distros. So go and find a distro and and contribute. As little as an hour is helpful. And if you can give more than that, even more helpful. Yeah, totally. And so for someone like me, who's not necessarily a developer, um, do you feel like that process is quite approachable? Uh, It depends on the distro. I mean, largely all you're doing is downloading an ISO image and chucking it on a USB key and booting it and seeing what happens. Almost any of us could do that, right? So that's great. Yeah, and that's the... I mean, if, you've, if you're if you a Linux user, you probably have done that at least once in your life. If not, it's a great opportunity to learn. <laughs> right, yeah, why not? And, and also, it's nice to test other distros. Like, I've tested out um, quite a lot of distros over the last year partly because I need to make sure that some of our technology works on other distros, but partly just out of interest. And I've tried out some that have got really wild user interfaces that I would not be happy using on a daily basis, but other people love like it's their, you know, number one child. And so I, I can have a perspective of an outsider just looking in and saying, okay, this is a bit weird, but it doesn't crash. It works. And so, that's feedback I can give them. You know, I don't, I don't have to tell them I don't like it. And I think that's a key thing is it doesn't matter if you don't like it, (laughs) you've go and find one you do like, use that one and contribute to that one. And yeah, it's, it's really pretty straightforward. Um, it's, it's, it's really just a case of installing an operating system and trying to use it like a normal person. Um, and you very quickly, uh, can find the edges of what's possible and find, you know, whether it's easy or difficult to install the software that you want and whether it's easy or difficult to customize the interface to be the way you want it. Maybe that's by design. Maybe that's just you don't know how to do it. Or maybe it's just not well documented. And all of those are opportunities. And trying to put emojis in places where you might not think they should go. Oh, yes. Yes, definitely. <laughs> try try and put your username being one character and try and, uh, you know, put weird characters in your password and all kinds of stuff. Poppy, if people want to get connected with you, where uh, where do you think you would send them? I'm pretty much Poppy everywhere, uh, except a few places where some random people have got Poppy. So I had to go with Poppy DC as uh, the alternative. So if you ever see Poppy DC, that's probably me as well. So people always ask what the DC means. The DC just means .com, as in com. <laughs> I, I was not very inventive when I came up with that one, because at the time I was really frustrated that I couldn't have Poppy. So I was like, oh, Poppy DC will do. So yeah, twitter.com slash Poppy is a, is a good place to start. Great. Yeah. Well, Poppy, thank you so much for chatting with me. This has been a real pleasure. And, and thanks for your time, too. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's been lovely. Thanks. Thanks so much. 